Turn to your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. My favorite, Gentiles eat pork chops. You like that one, Michael? <laughs> Michael's our only orthodox here. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read just a little bit long this morning because uh, I'm in a, we're in a series in Troy, and you're jumping into the series. Each one of them is self-contained, however, on the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to start in chapter 1 and realize there are no chapter divisions in the, in the Bible. You realize that? It's all one of Paul's thought. And it's quite fascinating how he goes from 1 to 2, and I want you to catch that with me this morning. We're going to actually do Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, but I want to start a little bit before that in verse 15 of chapter 1. Paul prays, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Inheritance is three times in Ephesians 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above... All rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of which fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we unfold your word this morning, we do so with reverence and awe. Please save us from a, a cavalier treatment of this passage, Lord. Help us to be sober in our thinking, sober in our, in our uh, understanding, and in every way, Holy Spirit, give us revelation of Jesus. Father, I pray for myself that you would help me, Lord, as a fallen human being, to be able to articulate divine things. It's really quite impossible apart from your spirit. 
So I ask the help of the Holy Spirit to impart revelation knowledge to your people that they might be edified and built up and more in love with Jesus than when they came into this meeting. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So I read that large portion of scripture. Uh, if you're taking notes, especially the Troy Church, this is lesson number three in the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> and if you would, would like to see the entire series, uh, you can move to Lincoln County. Okay. I'll probably pay for that one, but never mind. It just stuns me that Paul would write about the glories of Jesus Christ. Where is he? He's far above all principalities and powers. Not just a little bit ahead of Satan. Not just a little bit ahead of national leaders. But far above all principalities and powers in every name that could be named. That's why he can say the nations to me are like a drop in the bucket. It's not a distance term as much as it a, a qualitative term. Jesus is so much greater than anything we can think or imagine. We need the word of God to equip us and help us to understand what even these things mean. But here he is, filling the heavens, taking the throne of God. Are you ready? As a human being. Do you realize that there's a man sitting on the throne of God who is God? This is extraordinary. It's, it's crazy stuff. Makes your mind melt sometimes. But this is, okay, Sally, you can't talk to me. You can say amen. Remember I told you? you amen. That's good. You can lead everybody there. Good job, Sally. Okay. So Paul goes to this glorifying Jesus Christ, properly so. And the very next thing he does is talk about our sinful condition. Bing, boom. I mean, how about a little segue, you know, kind of brace us a little bit. But as soon as he glorifies the Lord Jesus, he says, and you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's alarming when you read it all at once. I love Paul because he doesn't mince words and he doesn't pull any punches. Today, he would be totally politically incorrect. <laughs> now, with the exception of the book of Romans, Paul explains and underscores how heavily our total dependence is on the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to spiritual life. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning is how this actually happens and what it means for us. Because we live in a world that is swamped and swarming and trying to overwhelm us with human philosophy, with humanism of every kind. And it's made its way into the church. It's even made its way into the presentation of the gospel. A lot of modern preachers don't talk about blood, cross. Ooh, that's offensive to people. They just talk about having a better life, that Jesus can improve you. Well, you're not exactly the object and center of the universe. Jesus Christ is. So it's more important that we learn about what he has done for us and who we really are. And that we have a reality check sometimes because, again, we are so swamped with images and things that are said about us. Uh, we, we need to go to the Bible to find out what God thinks of Jesus and what he thinks of us. That's what John Calvin said. Okay. Human philosophy has conditioned us to think that we are all born innocent. Oh, look at that innocent little baby. Isn't she wonderful? And they are. 
We're all born innocent into this world with no bias toward good or evil. Humanism teaches we are all born morally neutral. A clean slate, Pelagian said. Just waiting to be filled out and educated by the government. <laughs> See, they know these things better than we do. The modern gospel sees man more like this. A person, a man or a woman, was thrown into the sea and was unable to swim. The sea was choppy and the, the ship was beginning to move away from the, the swimmer and the, and the person who's thrown in can't swim. So they begin to sink. They go down once. They leap up and get air. They go down twice. They leap up to get air. They go down a third time with only a hand extended out of the waves. And suddenly God perfectly throws a life preserver that touches their hand. And all you have to do is reach out and take it. And you will be saved. That's how the modern gospel is mainly preached, especially in the West. Paul says, you better listen to what I say. Because he cuts through this vain human philosophy about us with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Paul's view, if you want to keep the analogy of the drowning man, is that the person who got thrown into the sea is at the bottom of the sea, fully drowned and fully dead. And in order to be saved, he must be resurrected and lifted out of the water. That's more what Paul would teach if he has to use the drowning man illustration. Because the image that Paul chooses for our spiritual condition pre-salvation is death. Oh, I don't like this talk. I don't want to think of these things like this. But it's imperative that you know what you come from so that you're full of gratitude to continue in your life with Christ. He didn't just make you better. He resurrected you from the dead. In 2.1 it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. Dead spiritually, not biologically. Morbid, lifeless, inert. You couldn't reach for a life preserver. Dead men don't reach for things unless it's a paranormal channel that's made, is, half the channels on DirecTV are about the paranormal now. Do you ever notice that? Incredible. They're so struggling to find out what's going on here, we should tell them. <laughs> we were sentenced to death. This was our Adamic nature. And the sentence on Adam is condemnation and death. And this is how we were born into the world, all eight pounds, six ounces of us, or whatever you were. The moment we were born, we were sentenced to death. Well, that hurts my feelings. It's, it's important that we realize this, that this was our nature. This is how we were born into the world, as cute as I was, I mean, as all of us were, Paul says this was our nature. And it's important we come to the realization of this to be fully saved. 
I remember, uh, who remembers video stores? Video stores. I still drive to the Blockbuster to see if it's open. Nobody's open. <laughs> Young people, this is what we used to do. We would save our money and not go to the theater when a movie came out and wait till it came out on DVD and we rent it for a dollar or two dollars from the video store and then either rewind it, that's way back. You ever try to rewind a CD? I did once. And then we return it and we saved $150 rather than going to the theater. And that's how we rolled, that's what we did. I'll never forget there was a video that I always saw at our video store that I always wanted to rent but didn't. Because I asked the attendant, you know, I said, what is this video about? It was called Grizzly Man. Anybody? It's called Grizzly Man. Huh? It wasn't Gr Phil Lorman. It's called Grizzly Man. And it, it just had a picture of a guy on the front. And I guess he was a scientist or something. And the store guy told me, he said, oh, that's a documentary about a man who lived amongst the grizzly bears and then one day was eaten alive by them. And he actually filmed his own death. It's on the video. So I'm not watching this. This is macabre. Okay. But I did see another little snippet on him on a nature channel or something. He did. He lived amongst the grizzly bears. He gave them food, he filmed their activities, he tagged them, whatever scientists do. And one day he decided, I'm going to make community with them. I'm going to make contact. They trust me now. And as soon he put the cameras up and he made his way toward a pack of grizzlies. And as soon as he got there, they ate him alive, devoured him, killed him completely. Now, I'm not a scientist, but are you insane? That's the nature of the grizzly bear. That's the nature of a predator. This is what they do. But if you get all soft in the brain, thing, he's furry and cuddly. We have a trust relationship now. He'll end up killing you. Now, I, we're not as bad as the grizzly bears, but Paul goes on to say, we once followed the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, that would be Satan. Well, I didn't worship Satan, but you followed him. The spirit that is now at work. Now, this little Greek phrase, now at work, is in the continual tense. It means the power that is constantly working, continually working, endlessly working, can't be stopped. Amen. That's the verb tense that's there that we followed after this. And that's why we were called sons of disobedience. Well, what would be the uh, opposite of that? What do we become then? Sons of obedience, see? We were born sons of disobedience, and sons of disobedience, obedience, we're gonna learn in a minute here, incur God's wrath. So that was the sentence on our life, always inclined to disobey God and sin. I'll give you another animal illustra illustration. Uh, my great, our great Dane, Samson. He's 150 pounds. He's big. Um, I fear for any small animal that's within range, so we keep him tight on the leash as best we can. But now and again, I don't click the leash on the collar well enough, and he slips out. 
Now, when he slips out, we've had him for six years since he was a puppy. When he slips out, he gets about five feet away from me. I say, come on, Samson, come on back here. He goes, yeah, right. I, I'm out of here. I don't know who you are. I'm not going to submit to anything you say anymore. And boom, he starts to take off looking for the little animals that frequent our subdivision. So I'm panicking because he will do damage. <laughs> like a snack, just in one bite, boom, gone. So he's on a frenzy. He's going. The only way to capture Samson is he loves to ride in my car. So I quick get my car keys. I go to where he possibly is. I honk the horn and open the car door. Come on, Samson, in for a ride. And he will bound through the car and jump in. Boom, I got it. And then I get him home. But you see, Samson doesn't have a good heart. He has a rebellious heart. He only jumped in my car and came back with me because he's conditioned to do that. Now, I, I was a youth pastor here 65 years ago or whenever it was. And I met with a lot of parents who were totally disheartened that when their children went away to college, they just became like the world in an instant. They just started drinking and palling around and doing mischief and cheating on tasks and doing all those things. What happened? Was your child just conditioned? Or were they actually regenerate? See, we can't be fooled by conditioning. You can get them to sit quiet in a little pew until they're 16 years old. But what happens after that? Okay, by threats of what's going to happen to you when you get home. And it looks good on the outside. Everybody smile at me. It's okay. This isn't bad news. I'm trying to teach you about nature so that we face these things. Because Paul says, we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Everyone born biologically into this planet is born into Adam. The sentence on Adam is death and condemnation. Romans 5. Actually, the whole book of Romans. But that's the condition of man. So let's go through this checklist. Ready? We are born corrupted, original sin. We are born anti-God, anti-authority. So the first time that cute little thing pulls away, you're looking at Adam. We are born inclined to disobedience. Come here, sweetie. We are born under the judgment of Adam. I like Vody Bauckham. He says, he says, it's not an innocent little baby. It's a viper in a diaper. <laughs> he's, got some, he's got some great turns of phrases there. We were born dead to God and condemned to death. But then we come to verse 4 of Ephesians 2. With my favorite word in the Bible, it should be yours too. But... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. See how Paul is emphasizing 
the nature of God against our nature there, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. You couldn't put on a fancy enough dress or enough cologne to attract God's attention. You were dead. You were a rotting corpse. You were condemned to death. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That little phrase there, that verb phrase, made us alive. I like the word in the King James it's just because it's cool. Is the word quicken. They use the word quicken. That we are quickened by God. Now, the verb tense of this little phrase, made us alive, is a singular, non-continuous action. Like creation. So when God said, Judy, Joe, Maureen, boom! In that instant, you were regenerated, resurrected from the dead. God didn't woo you with music because dead people don't respond to music. Put on some jazz for a guy in a coffin, see if he, you know, waits four measures and jumps in. He, he won't do it. You could put a horn up to his lips, he's not going to play. What? He's dead. It's not that he's not able, he's dead. Now, I, I said this little verb tense, and then the verb tense of what Satan does, because there's a contrast there. Satan is continually, constantly, endlessly, endlessly working in the sons of disobedience. God, one divine fiat, and you're made alive. It's a non-continuous action because you are birthed into life. And the life that God gives doesn't need to constantly be refueled. It's, got, it, it, it's like a nuclear explosion. It's, it's like an endless battery that's been put in you. Terrible illusions, but that's all I can think of right now. That's in contrast to what the devil does. God makes one divine fiat and calls your name, and you're saved. I like some preachers say, if Jesus hadn't narrowed the dead down to Lazarus, when he called, everybody would have jumped out of the grave. He had to say, Lazarus, not the rest of you now, stay dead, just you, get out. But that's the power that God has. I like the new living here. It says this, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Verse 6 in the New Living. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ. Along with Christ, we are seated with him in, he in the heavenly realm, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. This is the delightful concept of union with Christ that Paul is teaching here. It's because before the foundation of the world, God did call your name, wrote it on his palm, inscribed it on the apple of his eye, before he said, let there be light. Now see how Paul brings together Ephesians 1 and 2 together now? We learned uh, in Troy in Ephesians chapter 1 
that God the Father chose you to be in union with Christ. Romans 6, you died with him to sin. You were buried with him. You rose from the dead with him. The Father chooses, the Son saves, and the Spirit seals. So when God sent the Holy Spirit to apply the work of Christ to your life, let's say in the fullness of time, whenever that moment has been predestined. He didn't see me at the bottom of the ocean and say, poor Steve. Ah, look at him just lying there, poor guy. I think I'll raise him up so he can have a happy biological life. It can just go better for him than it's gone before. No, he raised us up in Christ. Had he not raised Christ from the dead, we wouldn't be raised from the dead. But the union concept, I was crucified to the world through Christ. I have been buried and cut off from the influences of Satan's disobedient spirit. And I've been raised, resurrected in Christ because he raised from the dead. I identify with him. This is all Romans 6, CDT students. That's why you had to memorize it. It wasn't an arbitrary, I'm so glad he raised me from the dead. No, he, 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 wrote, he raised you from the dead when he chose you before the worlds were created. No, God chose us before he created the world to be in Christ and to belong to him. That's what we celebrate here. As I was at the bottom of the ocean dead, I... There was no chance for me. And God said, Stephen Joseph Adelini. And there I was. Now, what do I do with the rest of my life? Well, we're going to look at it because Paul tells us. There we were, going on with sin continually. And in one instantaneous moment, God quickened you. The Spirit applied Christ's resurrection life to your dead spirit. And you were regenerated, made alive. Paul picks up that thought again in Titus 3.5. I like that Stephen talked about washings today because Titus says he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and receiving by the Holy Spirit. That's Titus 3.5. He made you able, grace, that's what grace is, to make you able, to have faith. He gave you the gift of grace to believe. It's a gift of grace. And you became what you were elected by God the Father to become, an heir of salvation by grace through faith, forever sealed by the Spirit in Christ, both now and forever. That's what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 2. Now, if I, ever, if I were ever to get a tattoo, I probably won't, but if I were to get one, it would be this one. 2 Corinthians 1.9, we do not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We do not trust in ourselves, but we trust in God who raises the dead. If he could do that to you, what can't he do for you? That's what Paul says in Romans 8. <clears throat> and so, just, just, this is, by the way, there's no extra charge for this one. But this is the first resurrection in Revelation 20. Those who've been made spiritually alive 
with God, who dwell with Christ forever, ruling and reigning in this life and in the heavenly realm, to help you with Revelation 20 a little bit. So that's just by the way. So why did God do this for me? Chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It is all of God that no one can boast. They came to Jesus. Aren't I clever? I'm smarter than that guy who didn't come to Jesus because I made the right decision. Wow, what braggadocia, what arrogance that a dead man think he had anything to do whatsoever with his salvation. And yet 80% of modern Christianity, that's what they believe. But God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. This is how natural man thinks. Louis XIV, ours is Louis IX in St. Louis, by the way. This isn't the same Louis. There's a lot of Louis. Louis IX was one of France's greatest kings. He was known as the Sun King for his brilliant court. France at that time was the most powerful nation on earth during his reign. When he received news of a crushing defeat by the English at Blenheim, he exclaimed, how could God do this to me after all I've done for him? That's how the natural man thinks. Somehow God owes him. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And no one will steer my hand to tell me otherwise. That's the Lord speaking, by the way. So I am grateful to God for his grace. What can I do to show my gratitude? Now you live a life of gratitude. Thanksgiving is you, the, the whole substance of your being now. You don't need a worship leader in here pumping you up to say, come on, come on. When you know I was dead and I was racing the bed, you don't need any prompting. Amen. You don't need to reserve your prayers for only the thanks for the meal at the end of the evening. Your heart is overflowing with gratitude constantly, perpetually. Uh, you talk about never ceasing praying. I'm giving God thanks constantly. I shouldn't be alive. And then when you have heart surgery, you have double thanks. Because they stop your heart on the table. Did anybody tell you that? They told me about what I'm going to go under. I'm going under. The, they say, well, we're going to stop your heart. I said, say what? <laughs> what did you say? Don't worry. We've got a team. A team? You're going to do what to me? They stop your heart on the table. So once again, you're in the hands of God. You either wake up or you don't wake up. It's up to him. But that's how every day is with God. Every minute. Every hour I need you, God. And I'm forever grateful, Father. Even if I don't have two nickels to rub together or my air conditioner breaks down. Oh, God, please, no. Don't do that. I'm just so grateful that what he did for me, what he did for you. We should be out shouting our, each one on Sunday morning. Can't, when we say, let's give thanks to the Lord, we should be fighting one another to be able to express it in the assembly. Well, I'm trying to think of something to give God thanks for. <laughs> what do you have to think about? If you didn't know what you were really like and what he did for you, your, your Thanksgiving is going to be meek. It's going to be childish. But it'll be deep and full of gratitude when you understand how the Word of God describes our condition and the salvation that we've received. 
I'm so grateful to God for his grace. What can I do to show my gratitude? Worship, obedience, imitate God, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Verse 10, for we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that comes after by grace you are saved. So it's not works to get salvation. It's grace comes into your life. And now you do good works because you're just like Jesus. You're in his image. He's growing you and building you. And it said he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He, he came to destroy the works that you want. You do the same things Jesus does. That's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. Michael Horton says this, knowing God has chosen us reminds us that we are loved, though not lovely, chosen, but not necessarily choice. We are accepted, not because we are acceptable ourselves, but because he has made us accepted in the beloved. So in closing, this is our response from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Three things. Number one, reality check. Surrender to how the Bible describes natural man, not the world. Parents, we're quick to give as much entertainment as we can to our children. But have you taken the time to disciple them and tell them this is what it means to walk with Jesus? Sunday school is great. VBS is great. It can't do the job that the parents can do. Parents, you must be discipling your child. You must be training them now that there is consequences for your disobedience and then consequences for your disobedience. You with me? Otherwise, you are cheating them. You're counting on a youth pastor. You're counting on a church program. Not going to work. It's the parents every day inculcating in their children. This is who Jesus is. This is who you are. Number two, realize God's motivation for your salvation. His immeasurable riches of his grace, his kindness, his electing love, his rich mercy. What else do you need to praise him about? There it is right there in a nutshell. That's enough for 10,000 years, as they say. Just meditating on his immeasurable riches of his grace, his kindness toward us in electing love and his rich mercy. Realize this in your life. Number three, reign in life. Why? Because you're seated with him in heavenly places. I like to stun some of my evangelical friends and say, why are you so bent on getting people to heaven? They're already there. What? The Bible says we're seated with him in heavenly places. Now while you're on the earth, be like Jesus. Rule and reign. Expose evil, Ephesians 5. We're getting there in the book. Walk with God. Honor him every day. Sometimes I like to give insights into my own little private devotions. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it might not be for you. But every day, every day when I get up, if I have to go to the bathroom real bad, there's a delay. But otherwise, I will kneel by my bed on one knee because I can't get down on two anymore. And I will, I will say, good morning, Father. This is your servant, Steve Adelini, at your service today to bring you honor and glory and majesty. And I go do my bathroom business. But it starts my brain thinking, I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. 
He's my liege. He's my king. He's my commander. And the joy of my life is seeing my king's face lit up with honor and glory. So reign in life because you're seated in heavenly places. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Let's all stand. I'd like to say a prayer for you. And I think Stephen is going to dismiss us. Right, Stephen? Just lift your hands to receive a prayer from the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for all my friends that are assembled here. I pray, Father, that the word would be burned into their souls and that all my human machinations would disappear and the word of God would indeed become spirit and life in their own bodies and minds this, this day. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this seed of faith that's been sown and you would multiply it in them so that they, be, they become incredible purveyors of grace and announcers of the good news. I pray for everybody that's going through any kind of negative situation that they would fix their eyes on the author and perfecter of their faith and be reminded today that they are in Christ who is a strong tower and they are safe. And finally, Lord, I pray that every person here in this building is edified and built up today, encouraged and strengthened to walk with you the rest of this week, this month, this year, to bring you honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.